0: reader. I'm Cindy Burnett. Welcome to my award-winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. On the show, I chat with authors whose books I have enjoyed about their new releases and I give you a peek behind the curtain of the publishing industry with my Behind the Scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. If you're looking for a community of readers, bonus content, and a chance to read books before they hit the shelves, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon group which is filled with a wonderful bunch of book lovers. The link to join is in the show notes. Do you love to be in the know about upcoming books? Kelly Hooker of at Kelly Hook Reads Books and I do too. We couldn't find a comprehensive list of titles all in one place, so we made one ourselves and now we're sharing it with you. Our literary lookbook is a list of 182 books releasing from January to May, 2024, curated for our communities. The link to buy it is in my show notes. Today, I am chatting with Julie Chavez about everybody but myself. I first met Julie at Fall Con in Denver in October, and she is delightful. Her book will really resonate with readers of all ages because we are living in a hectic, chaotic world with a lot of burdens and responsibilities thrust upon us. Julie is an elementary school librarian in Northern California. Though thousands of books pass through her hands each month, everyone but myself is the first one written by her. Julie lives with her husband and two tall teenagers in a house where she arranges her books by color. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drink A-G the number one dot com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out.
1: Welcome Julie. How are you today? I am so thrilled to be here. I am really well because I am here with you today. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. And listeners won't know this, but you and
0: I have met. We met at Falcon in Denver and went to dinner together, and then had
1: breakfast together. I heard you speak about the book. So I feel like we're old friends. I feel the same way. I was telling someone this morning that I was looking forward to this interview because I already know you. So that's such a treat. It makes it so much easier. And I still tell people the story
0: of being situated between you and Brittany, the two authors at the dinner that we were at. And the waiter kept thinking we were all three authors. So he kept telling us all congratulations. And I was like, it's not me. It's just the two of them. But because of where I was seated, I kept getting brought into the congratulations. So finally, I was like, okay, thanks.
1: Yeah, thank you. It, has, it was a big accomplishment. You're right. Well, it's true. Sometimes you just are in those situations where you think the time it's going to take me to correct this is going to make it all awkward for everyone. So let's just, let's just move forward. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for being proud of me for where I chose my seat. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes.
0: So before we dive into my questions, will you give me a quick synopsis of Everyone But Myself? Sure. I would love to.
1: So Everyone But Myself is a memoir that catalogs a season of time in which I experienced a severe time of anxiety and depression after I spent too long caring for everyone but myself, which is obviously the origin story for the title. But uh, this Book is really the story of that time. It's the story of my way out of that time, or I should say, through that season. Because you know, when I first started talking about the book, I would say my recovery from anxiety and depression, and then I thought, no, I don't think that's the best way to say it. It really is moving through that. Because I think if we're lucky, our lives are long, and we have plenty of different seasons. So, moving through that though required a tremendous amount of uh, care. myself and it was hard for me to find care. And by the time I got to the end of that, that portion of time, I realized that I thought that this story was one that would resonate with other women and other caregivers because it's such a source of joy and wonder and beauty in our lives to care for the people we love. But our names need to be on that list too. So Hopefully this is a story that will resonate with readers and also maybe give them some tiny tools to help move themselves forward if they find themselves in a place where they are continuing to set themselves on fire to keep everybody else warm. Just not taking the time to take care of yourself as well, which is what you're
0: saying, but not even setting yourself on fire, but just neglecting everything that's happening and taking care of everyone else.
1: Yes, obviously that's kind of that... Extreme side of it, but yes, it's the this book really is the story of the consequences or the potential consequences of self neglect that it is something you can only go for so long denying those needs before there's a problem. I mean, you can't drive your car a hundred thousand miles with no oil and then decide, oh, I'm just gonna take it in and fix it all up so this idea that we can treat ourselves with the care and attention that we give to other people and that that can be life-giving for everyone in that situation. Exactly.
0: What made you decide to tell your story and share your experience with others at this time?
1: Well, I alluded to it earlier, just you know, coming through that season and realizing that I was not alone. I think there's part of me that started telling it because I am not someone on paper, or even if you met me, I don't really read as I bet she has a lot of depression like i'm pretty optimistic i'm resilient i've you know i have a lot of the characteristics that i even would have assumed would have inoculated me against that that sort of mental health stress and i was wrong about that so i think part of it was my hope that that would be of use to someone else that they could find like i said maybe some tools or ideas or different ways of thinking But also too, it was the solidarity of it because once I started talking to friends about, oh, you know, I experienced anxiety and this was happening once I could talk about it because there was a season of time in which I could not. And then once I was able to talk about it, I realized there were so many people who were experiencing this. So I think it was the, I had always wanted to write a book and didn't know what the story was. And then suddenly this was kind of the story before me. So that became the time to tell it because I always wanted it to be of value. So,
0: And I think people focus on motherhood and the joys of it so much more than they focused on the rest of it. And there are so many joys, and you mentioned that, Mm -hmm. but it's hard. And so I think that sometimes there should be more focus on how difficult it can be. And so stories like yours reinforce that for people. Like, I'm not the only one finding this difficult. It is incredibly hard, and it does induce a lot of stress at times. I mean, they say, you know, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child.
1: You are exactly right because there is so much, you know, seize the moment, enjoy every day. And people look back with rose colored glasses and I am one who will never forget how brutal it is to have a newborn. I mean, it just, it's, they're the best and worst days of your life. So you're exactly right. And to have permission to say, this is hard. And also that, It's being hard doesn't mean I'm doing it wrong because there's something for me as kind of an achiever. You sort of think, okay, I can control this, but this is just, you're living life with these children and watching them grow and trying to help them grow. I mean, it's just the hardest, most wonderful, most important work. And if we have space for a more nuanced conversation about it, then I think that gives everyone freedom in it, including the children, because they, it's not healthy for them to be you know, the holders of our happiness in a certain way. So I guess that's kind of where I land. I agree completely to have space to say this is hard.
0: And it varies so much from other things where once you've gone through one thing, you think, okay, I've learned all the ways to handle this. The next time around, I'm going to do boom, 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 and it's going to go so much smoother. Dealing with children is not that way at all. Your first child, you learn all these great lessons. I can't wait to use them for my yes, second child. Yes. And then your second child is nothing like your first child. And none of the same things that work the first time work the second. So it's a little bit different that way for somebody like you or me, who is a high achiever, perfectionist, wants to do things well, doesn't want them to seem hard. You really have to almost just start over again with each child. You're
1: exactly right. Every rodeo is, in fact, your first rodeo. I mean, it just is, they are so... Different. And kids are different from day to day and they're growing and changing. So yes, it's constant adaptation. And that idea of that there is a way to do it perfectly is a myth that will crush anyone that's laboring under that because you just, you know, it's, we're all human in it. And so I think making space for that narrative to be a little different is important. You're exactly right. I was laughing when you were saying that because my two kids, I have two children of the same gender, and they are wildly different. So nothing works for both of them, really.
0: And obviously, there are some strategies and some thoughts and some ways you handle yourself that you learn. Yes. But in terms of the things that work for that particular child, I mean, I just laugh. I have three children. They're all so different, different genders, two girls and a boy, but also just different personalities, different ways that they approach the world. You're
1: just like, I have to start over again. Yes. That is why I think my kids are close in age in some ways, because I was like, I better do this real quick before I lose my nerve. Because you just, no one can tell you, people can try, but uh, there's just no understanding of not only what you're saying, which is this tremendous, just level of adjustment and adaptation that we have to do at all times, but also The flip side of feeling like the stakes are so high, there's so much love there, and the intensity of the mental load can, it just, you don't know it until you're in it. I think that's right.
0: So partway through your recovery, then you all also were handling additional family stresses, a death in the family, someone having some health trouble. And I think that's the other thing that we don't always expect or understand how difficult it's going to be to have these additional pressures coming into what we're trying to already deal with.
1: I mean, life falls apart all at once, right? We just, when it rains, it pours. We have all these sayings for that because it's very true. And especially in a situation like this, where I was really existing day to day in terms of tiptoeing through the moments to kind of get to the next moment, because when you're feeling, when you're really in a dark place it just feels very lonely time feels slow and it's just a scary time and so things tend to be tougher to to move through so the idea that you know I'm going day by day just with a baseline level of life and then to have these other things that were happening it really was a lot but I think what it did is for me personally it forced me to realize that that's actually how we exist in our lives in general. And when things have gotten hard in the intervening seasons for me, I return to that attend to the basics approach. So it really is just the reminder too that when additional things are happening, it both changes and doesn't change our approach. If we can stay grounded in those small things, that's really helpful. That's a very good point. But I
0: do feel like life is just crazy. And so when you have all these different pressures on you, even when you're not struggling with depression and anxiety, it's a lot. So adding that in is even more.
1: Yes, adding that in is so much additional stress and pain. And so I think, I think that's the other thing, too, is being honest, though. I will say in that season, because I was kind of moving so slowly through life and just you know, white-knuckling it, there was, I gave myself space to deal with the fact that my dad wasn't well and my parents were living in Japan and my sister-in-law was not well. So whereas there are times now, even where I will catch myself, assuming that I can be operating at just a normal frequency when there are significant things happening. And I've even noticed it over the past few months. The world is, the world has gone bad and it is extremely stressful. So for me to say, you know what? I can slow down and take care of myself. And I can make adjustments for that is a powerful tool that we need to use.
0: I have to realize sometimes I have to take care of myself first, because if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of anyone else. Yes, I agree. Kind of like the oxygen masks on the airplane.
1: Yes. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of which, have you seen Four Christmases? No. Oh my gosh. There's a part in there where she says, to, she's having an argument. Reese Witherspoon is having an argument with Vince Vaughn. And she says, I want to know that you're going to put on my oxygen mask before yours. And he goes, I'm not going to do that. And the FAA the FAA wouldn't want me to. <laughs> just, <laughs> I love that. And it's so true. It's just classic. And that's totally something I would say to Mondo too. I'd be like, prove to me that I'm the most important thing. Go. You'd <laughs> be like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, exactly. That is crazy. <laughs> Well, what surprised
0: you the most when you were writing this one?
1: Oh my gosh. I think in terms of the writing process or in terms of my personal experience writing it. Either one or both. I think my personal experience writing it was, it was less difficult to write about that time than I assumed it would be. It was draining, but it wasn't, it wasn't triggering. And that was a A wonderful thing to experience. So I think that knowing that I have enough distance and kind of wisdom from that season to be able to write about it was a gift. In terms of the writing process as it pertains to the publishing, I was shocked at how many drafts I had to write of this book. I mean, I was so cute and precious about the whole thing. You should have seen me at the beginning. I skipped right in and was like, oh, here's my book. Like, oh, it's done. And the lunacy of that concept. I mean, even now I look at the copies of it and I'm like, is it really done? I mean, I don't know. It just, I had no idea the length of the process, but also in my case, every edit got me closer to where it should have been. And so I'm so happy for every draft I wrote, for every revision, for every suggestion. I mean, it, it really, it really helped me become a better writer overall. So that's a huge gift.
0: Absolutely. And I think that is something that writers frequently don't know, is how much revision there's going to be once the book has been purchased and the process starts.
1: 100%. And I'm especially a reader who wanted to be a writer. So I had no writing experience. I had never taken a writing class. I mean, yeah, I because I was a Spanish major in college. So I had no useful skills around it. And so for me to kind of roll in and be like, oh yeah, so this is pretty much done. And no, it's not. But the great thing is now it gives me so much more appreciation as I am a person who loves, loves books. And I love them even more now because I look at them and I think this is a labor of love on the part of its author and the team. I was going to say, and so many others. That's the
0: other part that I just didn't really understand until I got more involved in the world was how many people lay their hands on your book before it makes it out into the world.
1: It is incredible. I had some extra editors in there, just there was some turnover and just different approaches with my book because it, it proved difficult to structure at certain points or for us to figure out what it needed to look like. And yeah, I had no idea. I mean, writing writing a book is a solo activity. Publishing a book is a group project because you're trying to make something that feels universal. And especially with memoir, It's so hard not to be close to it, right? It's my life. Of course, I think everything's important, but somebody else has to look at that and say, no, that part needs to go. Or it's still important, but maybe it just doesn't
0: work in the narrative arc of the story.
1: Yes. And seeing it as an actual narrative in itself that has a beginning, middle, end, that can be super challenging. So you're exactly right. I love that you uh, comforted me with that. Julie, it's still important, sweetie. We're just not going to put it in the book. I promise, honey, it's all good. We still like you and think you're great. Absolutely. That's the kind of editing I definitely need, too. I'm high maintenance. Well, no, but I know we talked
0: a lot about this when I met you in Denver, but publishing with Zibi's books, they are relatively new. That's been a dream experience for you. Can we talk a little bit about it? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's been... Zippy Books is so special. I mean, there are so many things that make it a great condition to be that way. They only publish one book a month. So the amount of attention that's paid to my book and to me as an author is really more than I would be receiving anywhere else, especially as a debut with not a huge following and I don't happen to be famous. So even though the kids at the elementary school tell me I am, which is great. So I will will stick with that with them. It's been wonderful. And the best part is that, especially with that first cohort of authors, I mean, we really developed relationships among us. So being cheered on by them and being able to cheer them on has been just this great community of authors and book lovers. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about them. The team is just so passionate and they really do love the books that they're selling.
0: And they're innovative. I love some of the things that they've introduced and the way they're handling things. I feel like it's wonderful and hopefully will change some of these other imprints.
1: Yeah, I think it really makes us, us as the authors, I think, more accessible. And that's something I appreciate and love. I mean, I love following authors on Instagram and, you know, I fangirl out with tons of different authors that I've loved for years. And I think you know, we have these QR codes on the books and there are lots of things that they're doing that, that remind people that the authors are real people as well. And I know that sounds kind of dopey, but I mean, I think about like years ago when I was, you know, going through a very ardent Taylor Jenkins read phase and I would just think, how does she do this? And now I just, I see a little bit of her more human side, like she'll post stuff on Instagram and I just love that. So. I think Zippy Books does a lot, too, to try and bring that into the equations. you know, book clubs with the author, because it's just a joy. I think that it's a joy for the authors. And I know as a reader, I love it. I love hearing from the authors.
0: Well, I think you create a bond with an author. And then not only do you enjoy their first book more or whatever book it is you're reading by them, but then you look forward to their next one and you kind of become a fan
1: for life a lot of times. Oh, 100%. I, I mate for life, usually. There are a few exceptions to that. But you really have to take a hard left.
0: <laughs> yes. No, I agree with that completely. What can also happen sometimes is I can read a book and really love it and then I go in and I read some of the others and I'm like, oh, I'm not liking any of these and I realize the one book was an aberration. But most of the time, I end up developing a bond and thinking, "Oh, I can't wait for what comes next."
1: Well, and I love that because you you have this sort of appreciation for someone's work and especially if they're very voice driven, I think reading, you just, it's like seeing a friend again you haven't seen in a long time. That's how I always felt about Kelly Corrigan's books. When Tell Me More came out, it was like I was getting together with her for a cup of coffee and I hadn't seen her in so long. So I think there's something really comforting and wonderful about that.
0: I like that analogy. And I read a good number of series and it really is the case there because you feel like, okay, Maisie Dobbs is back, the series by Jacqueline Winsbeer, and I'm so excited to bond with her again, read what she's doing learn more about her. So I think that's exactly right. And in independent standalones and in series, I I completely agree with that.
1: Well, and it's that love for the characters. And I will say on the author side too, now that I'm working on a fiction project, I feel like those characters are real. So the idea that, you know, as readers, that's, that's what we're doing is embracing those characters as if they are real people. So revisiting with them is so fun. So fun. Don't you know that
0: Well, writing a memoir can be a little tricky because not only does it involve your story, but it also involves plenty of other people's stories. How did you handle that in terms of writing about other people, but also addressing it with them? You all are going to be in my book. This is what I've done.
1: Yes. Well, I love that question. So, and I have had a range of experiences. So the great thing is that my husband and my sister both i would say who are the primary other characters in this book they both gave me full permission to write about them in really whatever way it felt right to do and that is a huge gift and it is an enormous amount of trust and i don't think i even realized what a gift it was until later and so you know i write this first draft there are so many people in it and I reached out to everyone that was in the book and I let them read those parts and offered up a pseudonym if they'd like that. I did have a couple of blips, a couple of interesting conversations where people would say, oh, I said that to you, Julie, but that's not how I meant it. And so we kind of, it was an interesting thing because normally you don't go back years and say, hey, remember when you said this to me and I was suffering from horrible anxiety, but you didn't know. And I thought you meant X. And it just... I mean, luckily my friendships had enough, I guess, strength to them to hold those kind of conversations. I will say there was one portion that is no longer in the book that was an entire chapter I had to remove right at the very end. That I am sad that I was not able to tell that part of my story, but it involved another family. And I'm sorry to be vague about it. It just is one of those situations, though, where sometimes you come up against something and you have to evaluate sort of what you're trying to do and can you accomplish it without telling that part of the story. So I think that it is very tricky, but it's funny because up until then, it was like smooth sailing, no problem. And I would have said, I was grateful for it. But I think once I went through that situation with that other family, I felt like, oh, wow, this is just reminding me what a privilege it is that people that I have shared the book with are fine with the way that I've portrayed them or shared their stories. I can see that
0: that would be very tricky. I am mm-hmm. such a private person. And so I think my inclination initially would be like, no, but I would read it and, and talk about it and all of that. But I can see where some people might be like, wait a minute. And so that's, that's why I wondered.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it depends too. Like I said, there were some of those little conversations about, well, I didn't mean that. And you think, yeah, I know that now, but I didn't know that then. And so I think there were some of those awkward situations, but some of them where it's a lot heavier, where anything where I guess you're talking about, you know, situations that maybe could have been avoided or things that could have happened a different way when there's sort of a painful idea of, could this have happened a different way? I think people, you know, we have wounds and it can be very hard to match those up. So I think if you are writing a memoir, I would say most of them, I think all memoir goes through a legal read and that's great because it's good to have as many eyes on it as possible that say, yes, you're being careful enough with this story. And then when you can, and when it feels right, reaching out to people I think is good, but you know, the reality is that last situation, I didn't really have to show it to them. I chose to, and it ended up really blowing up. But, you know, sometimes that's the, I guess that's the risk of writing memoir. So really, had I thought about it more before doing it, I probably would have been more hesitant. But I just skipped right down that road. And I was like, oh, look, this will be fine. (laughs) This is
0: great. (laughs) Well, this is making me think of a joke that my husband and I have had forever, because, you know, you go back through arguments and this is what you said. No, that's not what I said. This is what I meant. Or this, yes. you know, you couldn't go back and forth. And so we've always laughed that we really need somebody trailing behind us, recording our conversation, so that we could just play it back and be like, "See, this is what I said." Or, "Oh, that isn't what I thought I said." And now there's an ad on TV where they do yes. that, where, and I love it. I mean, we just laugh every single time we
1: see it because we're like, "See, we've been saying that for years. That's what we need." A hundred percent we need playback because I agree completely. I love those commercials. Every time they come on, I'm like, this just makes me feel so good. (laughs) I agree. Just makes me laugh. And I'm like, oh, we thought of this 20 years ago. Yes.
0: (laughs) So tell me about the title and the cover. You obviously mentioned earlier, Everyone But Myself, Mm -hmm. but how did you decide on that as your title? And then tell me a little bit about the cover.
1: Well, uh, fun fact, this book has had Four titles, conservatively. They were being batted around quickly at one point, so we wouldn't call them too official. But this book was little by little originally. Then it was the Anxiety Library, because I was going to try and write it a different way, which did not work. And then it was overbooked for a while oh, I like that. Oh, overbooked. <laughs> but we were struggling with a subtitle. And then there was an, yeah, that was what it was, overbooked. But the subtitle, we were just going round and round trying to figure out what to include and what not to. And then Zibi and I actually got on a call, just the two of us. And we'd been, I mean, just, it was like a million emails. And we got on the call and she said, let's talk this through. And I gave her my pitch. She said, give me your pitch that, that I love because I had finally kind of smoothed things out. And I knew that that was how it went, that I would say a season of anxiety and depression that happened after I spent too long caring for everyone, but myself. And so we're both sitting there and I said, what about everyone, but myself, since that's what I've been saying. And it was, it was really like a, yeah, I think that will work because it said enough without Being too many words. I had no idea how hard it is to title a book. And I think, especially memoir, it's just really tough because it feels about everything. And so, how do you distill that? Right. And then also, how do you distill it in a way that makes it easy to place or, you know, have a product? So, we finally settled on the title. I love it. And then we went through, and there was a cover that came out for this book. And then I got an email that there was a woman from Canada that had contacted Zibby's team because she already had an almost identical cover that was coming out that week in a paperback book, which I didn't know that could happen. So again, I was like, oh, look, new information. So we regrouped on that. I mean, we had released the cover. It was everywhere. It was already on Goodreads and stuff. But luckily, then we went back. Grassatito from the team went through and she found this artist, Giselle Deckel and found this image, designed the cover. And we kind of went back on a few of her images, but this was the one we landed on. And I love it. This is the moral of the story of this book for me. And for anyone who is reading it is nothing is wasted, right? Like my suffering during that time, it wasn't wasted. The process of this book wasn't wasted. All the work I did got it to where it needed to be. And so I look at it now at this cover and I just think, yes, that is this is who you were meant to be. And that feels like such a gift. I love the cover. And it's I find it hilarious too, because that is me.
0: I love the cover. And I think it is such a great representation of the story and everyone's experiences as a mother. So I look at it and it just makes me smile.
1: (laughs) I'm so glad because it is. I mean, every mother knows this feeling where you are so far past done And you're just like, I'm just going to fall asleep right here, right here where I fall. Exactly. That's what's happening today. This is it. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, Julie, I'd love to hear what you've read recently that you really liked.
1: I love talking about books. And I especially love talking about books with you because I know we were doing that at dinner. Okay. So I grabbed my Kindle because I read a lot on there, especially for advanced copies. But I am reading right now the mostly true story of Tanner and Louise. Oh, yay. Which I'm so loving right now. I'm listening to If You Want to Make God Laugh by Bianca Murray, which have you read that one? I have not read that one. I've read one
0: of her others and I really liked it.
1: She's such a masterful storyteller. So I really enjoyed that. And this one's a woven narrative with three perspectives and it's really good. And the audiobook is incredible. Bonnie Turpin is one of the narrators, but all three of them are stellar. So I'd recommend that. I am about to read The Sicilian Inheritance by Joe Piazza. I'm really excited for that one.
0: Me too. It is high on my list. I cannot wait to get to it. I'm hoping over the holidays.
1: Yes, it does feel like it'll be a good holiday read. So I'm excited for that one. And then I think in terms of books I loved this year, I will say Shark Heart was one of my top favorites. Did you read that one? I didn't. But Kelly Hooker, who you know I am good friends
0: with, loved that book. It's one of her top reads of the year.
1: Yes. And I can see why. It just, I loved it. I sobbed at the end of that book. So if you want something to just, you know, emotionally wreck you. And then I think, yeah, I think that's it for right now. And then I'm also going to start The House of Plain Truth by Donna Hemans. She is another Zibby Books author and I will be with her soon. Her book comes out in the end of January.
0: That's actually my Patreon group's early read for December. So we meet with her this week to talk about it on Zoom. So I'm really excited for that.
1: Oh, yay. She is such a, just a neat human. I love listening to her talk. She's also very calming. I feel like I'm a mildly chaotic person. I mean, hopefully in like a chaotic puppy kind of way, but I don't know, the jury's out on that one. But Donna, just when I listen to her talk, I'm like, oh yes, I need more of this in my life. How do I do more of this?
0: Exactly. Could you just call me and talk to me for a while, Donna? I need some soothing.
1: Yes. I'm going to, I think I'll text her later today and be like, hey, I think, can we add this to our friendship roster exactly. here? Yeah.
0: Once a week, we need to talk for 30 <laughs> minutes so I can calm down. <laughs> And I did love talking books with you when we met in Denver. That was so much fun. I was just thinking about that was, I was asking you. I was like, oh, we had such a good book conversation.
1: Yes, we did. Well, and I think we had such a good conversation about, oh, I liked this one. Oh, I didn't love that one. Like that is always so fun to me. And I know there was one, I'm trying to think back. We were talking, oh, we talked a lot about Alice Feeney. That's right. We did because I had hosted her in September. Yes, yes. And hers are so brilliant and so twisted. And she is fascinating
0: she is fascinating her writing process when you were talking about this earlier it made me think about her because she does not tell her editor or her agent no one what her book is about no one sees a draft until she is done and then she turns it in I mean obviously wow. there's editing after that yeah yeah but there's no like ahead of time discussions nothing she just writes 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 turns it in here's my book
1: I can't decide if that is like amazing or terrifying. That makes me a little sweaty just thinking about doing that. Although I will say the beginning half, maybe like I didn't, I don't think I talk about stuff at the beginning very much, but then you can't shut me up once I'm halfway through. So wow, that takes an amazing amount of self-discipline and she must have a lot of confidence in a great way in her own ability to tell the story. That's pretty impressive. It is. And the other thing that she has done is she's laid out like her
0: next eight books. So she has an idea for each of them, how they're going to develop, what the story is going to be, everything. I'm like, girl. I mean, I just, it's really interesting.
1: I wish you could see the look on my face right now because it's utter bewilderment and also mad jealousy. Like, what? That is amazing. I'm going to aspire to be like that from now on. And the
0: worst part of this whole story is that that was the first literary salon where I was trying to record so that I could use it for my podcast and Kelly was in town and we had done all this practice runs. I had, in, we had Alice and I had microphones. We were chatting into them. It was all going so well. And Afterwards it failed because oh. I got my phone too close to the computer and that overrode, I guess my iPhone paired with the Mac and overrode the microphone. So then my phone was sitting like 10 feet away from us. So the entire interview sounded like wah, 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 wah. Oh, wah 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 wah.
2: Wah, 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 wah. And I was
0: like, oh my gosh. Like she had so much humor and she was so engaging and all of these different stories that nobody tells. And I ruined it. I couldn't even believe it. I was
1: like, oh,
0: I nearly cried.
1: Oh, I would have cried. I can't believe you didn't. That is horrible. Oh, and when technology works against us like that, that's why I keep my Apple AirPods at school because those little turd burglars work against me all the time. They will mess me up from from legions away. They're
2: horrible.
0: So, and I just didn't even know that was going to be a theme because I had spent all this time making sure I knew exactly what to hit and how it was going to work and everything was set and we'd spent so much time on it. And then that silly little iPhone ruined everything. So now I know, turn it off, put it away during the interview and I should be good, but oh, it was terrible.
1: Well, you'll appreciate my recent story of how I was trying to disentangle my husband and myself on the cloud on like we had the same Apple ID and right. he could see my call history and I could see his. I mean, things were really getting out of control. And I just thought, this is how I go crazy. This is how it happens. Because I was sitting trying to figure it out and I was like, I'm in I'm in hell. That's what this is. So It's really difficult. My son's in mind. We're not
0: entangled where we see each other's calls and texts, which yeah. is probably very good. <laughs> Agreed. But... It shows up like I show up as him sometimes and he shows up as me when we're out and about. And so people are like, what are you doing at the school for six hours? I'm like, that's John. And then, you know, it it just it's just very confusing. I think we finally got straightened out, but it took quite a
2: while.
1: You know, it's just the travails of our life. And my favorite now is that I'm at the age where my kids walk up if I'm doing something on my phone or computer and they're watching and it's painful for them to watch me do it because apparently I'm super slow now. So that's kind of a nice humbling stage of life to be in. Mine are like, just give me that. I'll do it. (laughs) Exactly. Mine look at me, they're just like, oh my gosh, you're just not doing this well. But like, I'm just slow. It's my age. I'm just trying to live my life. Leave me alone. Leave me be. Exactly. (laughs) Well,
0: Julie, it was delightful, as always, to chat with you. And I can't wait for your book to make its way out into the world. I know everyone is going to love it.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Cindy. This was a joy. It is a joy to talk about the book and it really is a privilege to share it. So thanks for being part of it. Absolutely.
2: I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here, Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood and more subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website hardknowpodcast.com. we're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically that's a hard no
0: thank you so much for listening to my podcast i would love to connect with you on instagram or facebook where you can find me at thoughts from a page if you enjoy this show please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it, wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts from a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time.